Welcome to Positive Talk Radio. We're glad you're here. I'm Kevin McDonald, your host for this grand adventure, and I thank you for joining us. You see, our mission is to create a positive personal connection to all things with courage and love. We invite terrific guests, interesting topics, and great conversation, all in a fun, entertaining way. And we always manage to learn something, too. So I hope you will stay right where you are for this episode of Positive Talk Radio. My mic was muted, unfortunately, and uh, <laughs> yeah, I sorry. I'm sorry. All good. All good. Um, but uh, uh, Andrea DeMille is an author. I don't know when you have time for all this, but you're an <laughs> author. You also are in real estate. You also have uh, five boys, and, uh, and you are a speaker, and you, and you go around and you talk about uh, things that are very difficult for a lot of us to to get our heads around, and that is uh, uh, race race relations are unbiased or are biased prejudices and uh, and and uh, things like that 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 a lot of us don't get. So explain to me the, the number one about the book. You wrote the book for what reasons? Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Kevin, for having me on the show. Oh, you're really so welcome. Just, by the way, you have a beautiful smile. Does thank anybody you. ever you that? I have heard that a couple times. I <laughs> yeah, I, I have. Thank you so much. Um, so the book really came about um, out of a need to be more positive and bring people together and get away from all of the the hate and the anger and the the social unrest that was happening in the world. So um when George Floyd was murdered my 12-year-old at the time just was crying every day literally for 5 days. He would come to me at some point in the day crying just kind of I don't understand what happened and you know it was the first time in his life where he remembered you know something like this happening and watching that was really difficult for me. Um, and so I made this video on Facebook and put it on Facebook about what it's like raising black boys in America and some of the conversations that I have to have with my boys to keep them safe. You know, things like when you walk into the grocery store, get your, take your hands out of your pocket, take your hoodie off of your head, um, keep your hands where people can see. And when you leave the store, have the receipt in your hand, always put something in a bag. You know, when you're at a party with your friends and the police show up, do not run. I don't care that all your friends are running. You stand still, you know, always keep your, it's just little things like that, that I would, um, and it got about 20,000 views and got the attention of our Lieutenant Governor Spencer Cox at the time. Um, so Lieutenant Governor Cox um, wanted to come and chat about this video and my my lived experience in the state in Utah. So I said yes. And they came over during his campaign. He was running for governor and his running mate um, 
Now, Lieutenant Governor Deidre Henderson was there as well, and as well as our First Lady, Abby Cox. And I just really started sharing a lot of the stories that I've gone through personally when I have been on the other end of racial injustice or racial biases. And um, I remember telling them, you know, because he's a politician, and I remember saying, I'm not an idiot. I'm sure you have an angle, but so do I. So if you're going to help spread this positive message, by all means, use me in any way you can. And he was like, no, I don't have an angle. We really just wanted to come and hear some of these stories and learn how we can be better as an administration. And I thought that was beautiful. So I shared these stories with them. We cried. We hugged. We developed a bond um, that's stronger than ever. And I went on to later learn how my stories impacted. He he won the election, but so now he's our governor. Um, but I, I learned how they these stories impacted our governor, our lieutenant governor, their families, even our administration. I was commissioned to be on um, Project Gateway to help with equitable policy suggestions for women, the LGBT plus Q community, and minorities. And I just thought, wow, if these stories could impact our governor and our administration in the state of Utah, what could they do for the world? So I compiled them all in a book and I was actually working on um, like a women's empowerment business book when this happened. Because as you mentioned, I am a business owner in real estate. I own a real estate marketing company. So I was working on a book for that on, you know, how to chase your dreams and climb the ladder and, you know, create the life that you want when all of this was going on. And I went back to my mentor, David Ibarra, who sits on the board for the Think and Grow Rich Foundation. And I said, David, I feel like I need to pivot and share these stories. And he's like, absolutely do it follow your gut. So that's kind of how it all came together. It just happened organically um, with naturally bringing people together and and spreading positivity through storytelling and empathy and real love and genuine connection behind race relations. And that's kind of how it came to life. That is a beautiful story. That really is. And you are a very, very positive person. Thank you. (laughs) I want to just point out, though, I saw when Mr. Floyd was killed Mm. and I watched the entire video. Yeah. And it was the lack of humanity was just astounded me. It was, it was like, I can't believe that in America today that that can possibly even happen. And because I thought we were better than that. Well, Apparently, we're not. Now, on the, on the positive side, <laughs> the gentleman that did perpetrate it was convicted of a crime right, right. and is going to spend, if not the entire rest of his life, the most of the rest of his life in jail. Right. Um, and his life may not be that long <laughs> if he's in jail. But in any way, in any event, that, you know, it, it's, it's great that, that you are doing what you're doing. And, you know, you, when you were talking about educating your boys. Yes. Um. I have a great friend who is married to an African-American gentleman. She's a white lady Mm -hmm. and they have a couple of mixed race kids. And, um, she was telling me the things that she has to do with her boys to make sure. Matter of fact, she's got her oldest boy who's now driving. She he has her number on speed dial. With the instructions, if you are ever stopped, first thing you do is you speed dial me, put your phone down, put your hands on the steering wheel, and and get your paperwork in order and stuff so that I know that I need to come find you. Absolutely. Yeah, and that is very real. In fact, when all of that happened, the oldest of our boys, um, so as we mentioned, we have five. The older two are black, the younger three are mixed, and my husband is now white. Um, so I tell people we have three baby daddies and two baby mamas. <laughs> we, we're a very modern Brady Bunch kind of family. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I, I'll tell you, you that and that is, I believe uh, that moving forward, that is going to be the American family. We are going to be a blended country and uh, as well we should be, for heaven's sakes. Yeah. Because we are, you know, at the end of the day, all of us, either by choice or not, are ignorant. No, it, 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 immigrants that's yes. it we're immigrants here right um right. unless you're unless you're native american and then that goes back 
you know, thousands right. of years. Right? That's what I was going to say. Unless you're native and indigenous. Yeah. We are all immigrants here. We've all, or been brought over. Um, but yeah, that conversation is very real. Our oldest boy was just getting his license when all of that happened. And we had been having the talk with him about what to do when you get pulled over. And he and the 12 year old, you know how teenagers are there. Can we go to the store and get this? And can we go and get that? And can we just joyride? You know, and we live in a very predominantly white, um, affluent neighborhood. And I have dreads and the older two black boys um, have dreads. And my, my, mixed, my mixed babies are asking about it already. So they'll probably end up with some as well. But just from our appearance, it looks like we don't live there. You know, and so we had to have those conversations of if you are stopped by a police officer or a neighbor who thinks you don't live here, this is what you do. You know, things like that um, uh, to, yeah, to keep them safe. So, yeah. Funny story for you. Um, on on my independence report, I, I interviewed five young African-American men mm -hmm. and they were all in their late teens, early 20s. And they were telling me some of the stories that they'd had of being pulled over and 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 the fear that they feel because they never know what's going to happen. And so I related the story. I said, you know, I'm I'm an I'm an old white guy. And even when I was a young white guy, I it never even entered my consciousness. And one time I was going down a particular road and the the um, uh, speed limit changed from 45 to 35. And I thought it changed in a different place. Well, I got pulled over by a motorcycle cop. Mm -hmm. I was convinced that I was not speeding. And so I jumped out of my car. And at this point, all <laughs> see, they did the same thing you're doing. <laughs> all, the, all the guys said, you did what? Right. <laughs> I said, well, I jumped out of my car and started walking towards the cop. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, saying I wasn't speeding and and he didn't he didn't bat an eye. He didn't reach for his gun. He didn't do any of the things that if I was a young African-American man and did the same thing, right. I would have ended up with my face in the dirt and uh, um, with a gun in my in my face. And it's just, it's so sad that that our, in our country we live that way. And I'm so proud of you for taking the steps to help us get through some of the obvious racism and also the unobvious racism that, right. and the racist and the bias that we have. Yeah. Um, so well, tell us I, about share, I share, I share a story like that in the book as well. And this one, Kevin, I haven't shared in any other interview. So this is an exclusive for you. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, but along those same lines, when I was a teenager, I was about 17 years old, senior in high school and we just moved to this brand new town that where my parents were retiring. My dad was an army officer who just retired from Fort Benning and settled in this tiny, tiny town, right? Literally, it's a town, not a city. Uh, one stoplight right outside of Atlanta. And lots of Confederate flags everywhere, kind of small town thing. And so my friend and I were at a park sitting on his car, just chatting about you know, how we can't wait to get out and get on our own and go to college. And he was a student athlete. I was a student athlete. And we were just friends, just literally sitting on the hood of the car chatting. And we heard a car pull up behind us. So we looked over our shoulders to see that it was indeed a police officer. So we hopped off of the hood of the car just to kind of see what was going on, because he clearly pulled right behind us as if to block us in. And without a word, he takes my friend, slams him on his police car, pins his hands behind his back and is very aggressively searching him, pushed his head down onto the hood of the car, used his body weight to spread the legs of my friend and is just violently searching him everywhere. And this, my friend looks at me with just tears and fear in his eyes. And he's kind of shaking his head a little to the side, like this is really messed up, you know? And I'm just watching and all I can think is, is this real? Like, do we do something wrong? Are we getting arrested? Am I going to die? Like, these are the things going through my head. So when the police officer doesn't find anything, he jerks my friend off the car and then still kind of holding both of his arms behind his back, looks at me. And I was just in a very, like a little tank top and some tight pants where you couldn't smuggle anything in. So he just had me turn my, there's, there's no hiding anything in that outfit, basically. <laughs> 
um, he, he had me turn my pockets inside out. And when he saw that we had nothing on us, my, keep in mind, he never said a word, like literally just searched us without warrant, without and aggressively. Um, when he found nothing on my friend or myself on our persons, he said, the park is closing at, at dark and y'all should get ready to go because the sun was setting, but it wasn't quite dark yet. And then he left. And I share that story with people because I, I, in the book, and I say, have you ever experienced something like that? Why do you think he did that to us? We're just two teenagers sitting on top of a car chatting, um, you know, and was he, do you think he was taught this in the police force or was it just something he learned and while he was, you know, growing up or things he saw on television from the show cops, you know, like you just never know why, you know, these are the things going through my head as a teenager. Um, but I ask all these questions and, and, and share that story just for people to kind of wake up to our own biases and other people's lived experiences of, you know, these things still happen. They still happen. That was never reported on the news. Um, I never even told my parents until I was an adult probably really in the last couple of years did they learn that story. They didn't even learn it when I was in my 20s. Um, and I'm almost 40. And, you know, these things happen. And so I like to share those stories to, to help us all wake up to our biases. Now, that one in that case is very um, obvious. But we all tend to have biases that are sometimes subtle. And, we, and they come from stereotypical anecdotal situations. You know, as I mentioned, I, I was doing some work for the governor. And um, our Governor Herbert was on his way out of office and he issued this diversity compact. So I was invited to come to the signing because of the work that I've been doing with the state. So it was early December and we were getting our first snowfall of the year. I'm in Utah. And um, and it was beautiful. You know, the who's who of Utah, they're very affluent, powerful politicians, business owners. You know, people are dressed to the nine. And... Um, but it's a beautiful sea of diverse representation. There was Pacific Islanders in their native clothing, Asians there, uh, people from the queer community, men, women, young, old, black, brown, like every everything under the rainbow is beautiful. And I saw movement out of the right corner of my eye. And so this was just still in the middle of the pandemic. Well, you know, middle end of 2020. And so we were doing it on the Capitol steps outside and the snow had just started to fall softly. And I caught movement out of the right corner of my eye. And I noticed that, um, you know, people have been walking their dogs on the lawn and I didn't think too much of it. So this person started to approach the Capitol steps. And as he got closer, I could make him out. And he was a young Hispanic gentleman with no shirt on. He was covered in tattoos and his pants were slightly below his belt line. And I looked at him and my first feeling, Kevin, was fear. My first thought was, what is he doing here? Is he here to start trouble? And it is embarrassing. Every time I tell this story, it never gets less humiliating that here I am, the epitome of equity, representation, equality. We're signing this diversity compact all these people around, we're literally crying tears of joy of everyone coming together. And I am showing a subtle racial bias towards a Hispanic person because of how he looks. Now, I am happy to say that in that moment, I said, Andrea, stop it. Look at him. And I made myself look him in the eye. And he was smiling ear to ear, Kevin. He was so happy. And I immediately tapped into his frequency and was able to change my feelings from fear into love and inclusion and, you know, joy and reprogram my subconscious mind in that moment. And he was just happy to witness what was happening. And later I reflected and I asked myself, why did I feel fear? Why did I say in my mind, is he here to start trouble? What is he doing here? And I can say it's because of the biases, the racial biases in this instance, both gender and racial, because we do react differently to men that we would women, right? We just do inherently. So the gender and racial biases behind what a bad guy looks like uh, um, is what has been planted into my subconscious mind. I had seen what a thug looks like on television, in movies. I read about it in books. You know, the people in the tattoos, you know, how to, you know, stay away from people who look like that. 
And that's where my fear came from. It came from stereotypical anecdotal stories and not from personal experience because I never experienced anything negative with the Hispanic gentleman, yet along a person in tattoos, like either one of those, never. So I had no real lived experience to fear him, yet here I was feeling fear. And See, so, I, yeah. I would have been more concerned about the fact that he was shirtless. I know. Knowing. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth, right? The question should have been, hey, dude, where's your coat? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Because, uh, you know, and I learned all about, um, I learned all about what you're talking about because I drove a Seattle Metro bus for 12 years. Right. <clears throat> and when you drive a bus and you can and you have no earthly idea who's going to get on your bus or when they're going to get and what the, what they're about and who they are and all that kind of stuff. It's really easy. Um, it's incredibly easy to form biases mm. around the way people look. They don't pay their fare right. um, and or whatever it, it is. And it takes a it takes a moment or two for you to recognize that they're human beings just like you are. Absolutely. And and that we are all connected and that we're all one and to take a positive attitude rather than a negative attitude. Absolutely. And you know what, Kevin, if we all just pause for a moment like I did when I said, Andrea, stop it. That's how we can shift into that positive energy, right? By just pausing for a moment and recognizing, you know, this human being in front of us and their lived experience. That's all it takes to kind of flip that switch. And the more and more we do that, then the more we'll start to respond in a positive way on autopilot rather than in a negative way. You know, we'll, we'll lead from a place of inclusion and equity and love and empathy rather than leading with fear if we keep doing it. But many of us, you know, just let the moment pass and don't think anything of it. You know, we, um, I think I was watching an Ed Milet video uh, earlier this week and I, someone can find it and directly quote me, you know, but to paraphrase, I want to say he mentioned that we have about 900,000 thoughts a day, something like that. A and lot. A lot. Yeah. Like a whole lot. Okay. How about just say millions? Well, let's just round it up. Okay. We have a million thoughts running through our mind every day. And most of those thoughts are on autopilot. And we actually only can control about 9% of our thoughts that enter our mind every day. And so it's the same with our biases. Sometimes we are just, you know, we're walking down the street and a thought will enter our mind when we see someone or when we're driving or like you said, when someone gets on your bus or comes in your office and we immediately create a snap judgment um, about this person and then we just let that thought be fleeting and it leaves us rather than pausing and turning it into a positive interaction and positive feelings. Exactly. And, and there's some people that haven't figured that part out yet. And right. so that's and that's why in, in your neighborhood, as an example, mm -hmm. uh, you've got uh, five teenage boys. You're going to have five drivers at one point right. and they're going to be going through an affluent, predominantly white neighborhood. And somebody somewhere is going to say, because it is an African-American man driving a nice car that he either stole the car or or he's he's up to no good or something like that and we have to change that we do as a society yeah or whatever we absolutely we do and it starts by doing things like with my book you know it's called is it racism how to heal the human divide and just by reading that book it teaches you how to reprogram your subconscious mind for more positive, inclusive feelings when we see people. And you're right, Kevin, one day that will happen. And it has already happened to family members that visit us. Um, we were, when we were in Georgia, we, again, in a more predominantly white affluent area, it's a golf cart community. And our cousins were driving the golf cart on the cart path. There's not many rules except stay on the cart path. You can't speed. <laughs> it's impossible to speed in a golf cart, you know, right. and it's not illegal to have your music on the golf cart, right? Like it's not. A, and so, but my cousins got pulled over because the police officer assumed that they don't live here. And our cousins had to tell them, Hey, this is my uncle. I'm visiting my uncle from Miami. He lives right here. We're just you know, enjoying the community. But when my white friends and family members come over, as I mentioned, my husband's white, 
they get on the golf cart, no problem. And they never, they've never once gotten pulled over by the police or had a neighbor nope. stop them and inquire, you know? Nope. So. And, and, the, and Andrea, I would love to be able to tell you that, that throughout the country that we are all kind of the same and, and, and stuff, but that's just not so. Yeah. Uh, I live, I, I, I worked for a company out of Arkansas mm -hmm. and they called the West coast the left coast um, <laughs> because oh, we're a geez. lot more we're a lot more progressive than they are in our, our arkansas real quick story and this is when i first took the job there i was in uh, fort smith and fort smith is the home of the hanging judge from the 1800s so it's a very historical place and there's a lot of older buildings and stuff and so one of the sales guys and i were going through downtown and we were stopped at a stoplight, and it was right by where the hanging judge courthouse is, and um, and I and and I was looking around and looking at things, and I hear the guy say next to me, "That's just a goddamn shame." And I and I said, and I looked around, and it was like, "What?" And yeah. there was a mixed couple walking across the street in the crosswalk in mm. front of us. And and it was like I was like, buddy, you need to really kind of get a life because that's just not appropriate, right? And uh, <laughs> it, but in there, in and and it's an educational process. Yeah, it's also working together for uh, for us to all work together to understand. One of my favorite stories I got to tell this one real quick okay. is that I'm a Seattle, I'm a Seattle Seahawks fan. So when you go to the Seattle Seahawks stadium. There are 65,000 people in the stadium, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody is cheering on the Seahawks. White, black, gay, women, doesn't matter. Everybody's cheering. Yeah. They're high-fiving each other when everybody scores. Right. We're all together. We're all one because we're at that moment, we're of the same tribe. We're all fans of the Seattle Seahawks. If we could capture that spirit, Mm. and be we are all one human family then we would be we'd have a shot at getting rid of some of this and and having a much more positive attitude but the problem is when everybody left the stadium they reverted back to who they are and they <laughs> were, and they're off to the parking lot and right know, and, and running into people and and some people were drunk and all that kind of stuff so you know if we could just do that and that's why your work is so important thank you yeah, you know, and what's great though is we can work towards being that all one tribe by taking little times to to even help each other wake up to our own biases. Like when you were in that car and you're like, hey, buddy, you know, and you said something, some people would sit there in silence and just let him continue to sit in his biases that people of different races should not be married or together. Um but the fact that you spoke up and said something is important too. You know, part of it um, in the book, we have what we call the mind model. And those are the steps that help us all to wake up to our biases and be more positive and to come together to create a better world. And so step one is, one is waking up and realizing by checking our feelings what it is that we're experiencing. So that day on the Capitol steps, you know, when I said, Andrea, stop it, I was waking up and checking my feelings. And then when I made myself look him in the eye, that was step two to reprogram my subconscious mind. It was look at him, you know, or it could be if you're in a room speaking up, you know, or pulling someone aside. And then step three is being willing to be the pebble in the pond and and change and help heal that human divide and for me it was changing my feelings in that moment from fear to one of more positive positivity and inclusion and so the if we follow that mind model we can all help each other wake up to our own biases which it also is reprogramming ours because we're having that conversation you know just you and i today are reprogramming our subconscious mind for positive inclusion because you shared stories with me and I've shared stories with you and we're both helping each other. You know, it's beautiful. We just need to have more conversations. If we could all just sit in a room, have a conversation, we would end up with a very positive outcome. Absolutely. I'm, 
I'm pretty sure unless unless there's somebody that is just and there's going to be there there are fringe people everywhere but I think by and large that we can change our society and we really do need to change our society into to be a more positive more inclusive because quite frankly and you talk about this with women a lot too mm-hmm. because the, the women have got the same problem in, in in it's a little bit different but they still have got a problem of of they don't take care of themselves very well and i was watching your video i love your five points of selfishness oh thank that, you <laughs> that, that you brought on there could you could you talk a little bit about that because i think it's really important that women get the fact that they're important too absolutely yes because it's the same thing we can use that mind model to apply it to gender equality as well and so what you're referring to kevin is um i was interviewed by authority magazine and they were asking you know what are some of the things that powerful that you do as a powerful woman to help with the work life love balance and i said be selfish you know if a woman takes up yoga people usually say good job way to go you're taking care of your mental health and your body and they applaud her, right? They don't call that selfish. But if a woman stays late and misses her son's soccer game to meet a deadline, most people would call that selfish and shame her. Oh, she should be there. Oh, she's putting work over her family, you know? And it's time that we redefine what selfish is. And so some of the things that I like is, you know, for for women to do is take your power back and realize that, it's okay to take care of yourself first. Because if you take care of your mental health, you take care of your emotional health, your physical health first, then you can give your best self to your employer or your business. You can give your best self to your spouse or your partner. You can give your best self to your children and time block it accordingly, you know? And and so if you are a working parent, a working woman, time block it. This is set aside 30 or 40 minutes when you put your phones down and you have a genuine conversation with your kids or you put the phone down and we're going to watch a movie and there's not going to be any action or we're going to go for a walk. And then once that's done, you can you know move on to the next thing. And so what I've learned and that I want everyone, men and women, to, to understand is um, it's important to give more quality time than it is quantity. If you can only give your partner or this paper, or your children, 45 minutes of your time, then you may get the best damn 45 minutes you can possibly give, and then move on to the next, right? And then like, to have no guilt. But there, some of the some of the other things that you mentioned in that video are, um, you know, being willing to push past the fear that we have to be able to overcome our obstacles if we're going to to come together and be more positive. Um, fear can be very tricky. It's just our brain. It's just a survival technique that our brain is telling us to keep us safe. That's all it is. So if we ignore and push past the fear, then we can be great. And then also, you know, to remove the safety nets, you have to want it. And as they, as Napoleon Hill says, burn the bridges. And what that means is if you're going to go for a goal, you need to be persistent and not have a backup plan. You can't think, well, if I fail, my partner will help me. If I fail, my parents will bail me out. If I fail, my friends can will help or my grandma will send money. Don't have a backup plan. There's only one plan, and that's number one, whatever it is that you want to go after. And so, you know, when we do things like that, just redefine what it means to be selfish, pushing past that fear, not having a backup plan. We can all help empower each other. We can empower women um, and collectively help heal that human divide and reprogram our subconscious minds for more positivity and, and inclusion for sure. It's very difficult. That last one, which is don't have a backup plan. I mean, yeah. you mean I have to be all in. <laughs> I, 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 it, that's, that's hard for some folks. Yeah. Um, it's hard for a lot of people. And that's why there's only a few greats at the top, you know, but, but then you know, you have great. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was just saying we also have great people that we don't hear about. You know, there are amazing teachers who are at the top in their field that we would never know. So I wasn't making that statement as a status or celebratorial statement. I was just saying be the best that you can with no backup. Okay, go ahead. (laughs) Well, no, and I agree with you 100% because I don't know about you, but some of the people who've had the most profound influence in my life were either coaches or teachers. 
Oh, absolutely. I, I would 100% agree with that. The most influential, powerful people in my life were my coaches. Um, well, number one, my dad. And number two, my coaches and mentors. Yeah, for sure. They and they taught me. Uh, they taught me how to how to behave, how to be a good teammate, how to how to be be um, how to have integrity. Yes. Um. And and all of that. And it's and even more so. My dad was busy working. He was gone six days a week, and he didn't particularly want to hear my my line of baloney when I, he came home. Yeah. So, you know, and so, but coaches were invested in us. And so some of the best folks that I've ever met were coaches. So if you're out there and you're considering coaching youth, um, do it. It's very rewarding. Absolutely. And you, you can actually make a huge difference in a, in a, in a child's life um, in a real positive way. So do that or be a, a scout master. <laughs> or do, do something, do something, do something for the kids. Do something in a positive way yeah. um, that, that you can all bring everybody together. It, it really is important. And uh, so you are a real estate person. You're an author. You're a mother of five. What's next for you? Governorship. <laughs> I have had a few people ask about that. You know, what's next is leading more uncomfortable conversations. I do a lot of public speakings and trainings on the topic. Uh, teaching people how to use the mind model in their organizations and also in their um, professional and private life. So definitely a lot of that. And I'm working on a children's series. Um, you know, my seven-year-old, one of my mixed race kids came home a few months ago and he said, mom, because you're black, you don't deserve to own a house or to buy property. And I said, oh, Axel, why would you say that? And he said, well, your black skin reminds people of darkness and evilness and people don't like darkness and evilness. And I literally cried on my bathroom floor for about 25 to 35 minutes. My sweet husband could not even, he had no idea what to do other than sit there and empathize with me. And he's like, do you want to call your dad? I'm like, yeah, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, I need to talk to my dad. He's my, one of my best friends. Um, and so I just, I just, the next day I was like, we have to do a better job of spreading positive and equitable messages to our youth and to our children. Because here my own child is making a racist, lit that's literally a racist comment, um, not, not subtly race, racially biased, it's just a racist comment. My own child made a racist comment to me and has a racist belief that has been seeded and planted into his mind that has manifested consciously in his comment. And he hasn't learned that at home. He learned that outside of our home. We don't, we, you know, don't teach that. That's um, a frightening thing. It's, it's very frightening. And so I was like, we have to do better with our youth. And so now I'm working on a children's book and a children's series to help teach them how to be more positive and loving and inclusive. And, you know, we mix in disabilities so that we understand, you know, we treat people the same, even with they have, even if they have disabilities, whether they're a girl or a boy or black or brown, Asian, yellow, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, and so that's what I'm working on next because I want to help heal that human divide, starting with our youth. Everything starts with the youth. Yeah, <laughs> back because, to that, right? <laughs> yeah, because they're gonna they're gonna be around longer than yeah. we are, and uh, as we continue to evolve as a species and continue to change, um, it's the youth that are gonna continue to to evolve us for, forward. Because, like, I have different views than a ninety five year old guy who, and it, because he grew up in a different time. And the times are changing. The times they be a change, and I think, <laughs> I think uh, uh, Dylan said something about that. Um, and Bob Dylan and uh, we, but we have an obligation for our children. And being a bus driver, I saw an amazing amount of kids that were left to their own devices, mm -hmm. and a lot of them, a lot of them, just don't have any hope. Yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing that we need to instill in our kids is you can, this is America, damn it. You can Absolutely. do anything you want. <laughs> America. Yeah, America, <laughs> God damn it. You can be anything you, can be anything you want to be. And, uh, and it doesn't mean that, that, 
a, a black child, the only way out for him is to become an athlete. Absolutely. He can be a scholar. He can, he can do anything that he chooses to do. And we need, as a society, we need to support our children in that and present a real positive outlook for the future, for, for everyone. And uh, you're taking the time and the effort to do that and I, I applaud you greatly for it. It's just awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. You are really good. By the way, we are talking with Andrea DeMille, and she's got the book, which give us the title of the book. Is it racism? How to heal the human divide. And I love the part about how to heal the human divide because yes. there is Right now in this particular, I have to tell you another real quick story. <laughs> okay. Is that I recently changed the name of my show from My Independence Report, which I still run, but I've added Positive Talk Radio, which I did it way back in 2003 when we were in the middle of the Iraq War and it was a different time and uh, there was a lot of hate division and fear back then. I'm getting an unbelievable positive response from positive talk radio because people are tired mm. of the negativity they want positivity they want to get to they want to have a happy life they want everybody to work together for us to, as a country as a world to have a happy life and and to be positive in everything that we do and i feel it's changing i really feel that that we people like you people like me are making a positive difference in the world and so you go girl you got to keep going and doing what you're doing yes i plan to keep going and i feel you kevin i feel the winds are changing it's kind of like you know i'm from the south and sometimes when you have pop-up storms you can see the rain walk towards you as it gets closer and closer and that's how i feel what's happening something big is coming i can see it walking towards i'm not sure what it is but where i'm going to keep being positive helping to heal that human divide do my part um and i encourage everyone listening today to do the same you know it can get very overwhelming with trying to change the world and you know wanting more equality for women and more equal quality for all different races and cultures and you know the lgbtq community like those the idea of those can get very exhausting but what you can do is one wake up and change your own feelings and two be that pebble in the pond and which three will give the ripple effect. So you may not be able to change the world, but you can change your world. You can change your world, which in turn impacts your friends, your families, and your community. And if everybody did that, we damn sure can help heal the human divide. And I have actual proof that, that you can do that. Um, when I was driving a bus, and most of the time I drove a 60-foot bus. And that fits as many as 75 people on that bus. I could, I could change the environment by my attitude as the driver. Um, and if I did, if I would, had a good attitude, then the bus, things tended to go better because of the positive attitude and the energy that I was putting out. If I put out negative energy, the same thing would happen in reverse. And so we all have... Every day, and I, and I implore everybody, whether whether you feel like you have no forum, no platform, no impact at all, you can still be nice to the cashier. Absolutely. You can still say hello to people. You can actually smile through your mask and show a light in your eyes um, that that people can recognize. And uh, and it's you will be better off for it and it'll make you feel a lot more uh, powerful and a lot better about yourself and about the world around you. Don't you think? Absolutely. 100% agree. It radiates. You tap into that frequency and just with the positive attitude can change the world. You know, it goes back to that, um, that saying, if mommy ain't happy, nobody happy, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, it's true. Just with a smile, you can help heal that human divide, put that positive energy out. I love it. Yes. Well, you know, especially in, in some cultures, women have got a very, very important, mom has got a very important place in the culture. 
and in in the in the family life and and that's that's true and mommy ain't happy nobody's gonna be happy here. <laughs> so everybody works to make mommy happy yeah. and uh, i hope your kids do that and and i know your husband is very supportive of you as well yes very much so thank you and i appreciate that so on a different time what's the real estate market gonna do Oh my gosh. Right now it's just going up and up and up. And at least in the state of Utah, we are not slowing down anytime soon. So we're averaging about 17, 17 to 19% um, increase in equity every year, which is probably double the national average. It's crazy. Where is all this money coming from of all these folks that are able to, to pay you know, half a million dollars for a house. You know that it's it's a double-edged sword. Um, it's people are coming in from out of state for sure, but then we all are also creating a ton of jobs. We just opened, I think, our second Amazon distribution here in the Salt Lake area. They are about to move the prison and put in more um, businesses and employment. And so we're definitely breeding jobs, but it is hard because you have younger families and even soldiers, you know, we have Hill Air Force Base here that literally can't afford a half a million dollar home. Um, and so it's getting, it's getting crazy. It's like a great and a really bad thing. It's like, okay, great. Housing's going up and you know, we we're in a great economy. We have one of the best economies in the nation, but at the same time, everyone here can't quite afford it. Um, so I know our administration's looking into things that they can maybe do to help close that gap and we'll just see what's to come. I really hope that, that, uh, you run for office one day. Oh, you're sweet. <laughs> oh, I think you would Thanks. be phenomenal. Thank you. <laughs> and I oh. think that your support would be broad and wide. Thank you. Yeah. If that day ever comes, I will let you know. <laughs> you have to come back on my show and we Absolutely. have to talk about it. I absolutely will. <laughs> absolutely. We, we And so your book again is, and how does somebody get a hold of you, Andrea? Yeah, the book again is, Is It Racism? How to Heal the Human Divide. Um, if you guys are interested in having me on a show or you need help with a speaking or training event, conference, um, consultation of any sorts, you can find me at thewakeupstories.com where the book is also pre-selling. And you can follow me on Instagram at Andrea underscore D underscore. That's A-U-N-D-R-E-A, Andrea. Um, but yeah, also I have my own podcast show. And so it's called The Wake Up Stories as well, where everyone comes on from different genders, ethnicities, background. And we just discuss biases behind all of it. The people share their stories behind biases related to mental health, related to queerness, related to women, related to gender roles, religion, the whole nine. It's not just about race. It's about uh, waking up to biases in every category to help heal that human divide and, and be more positive. So if anyone has a story they'd like to share, uh, go to the wake up stories and, and submit a proposal and maybe we can get you on to share your story. Do, now, do you, do you have a slot for like an old fat white guy? <laughs> Always. <laughs> yeah. We should definitely do some collaboration and have you on. <laughs> I, 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 that would be great fun. I would, I would really enjoy it. So yeah. Yeah. You, you have, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, if you have the opportunity to book her, for a speaking engagement, for um, to coach, to do any of the things that she does so well, uh, you can do a whole lot worse. She's she's really good, and she's a delight to be around. So, so I I want to thank you for for being on the show today, and uh, I I want to I really want to have you come on to uh, KKNW to do that show as well. Yeah, I would love to come back and help in any capacity. And thank you so much for your time, and thank you for having me on, Kevin. I really appreciate it. You're really cool. Now, if you'll, if you, oh, by the, oh, I almost forgot. I can't do that. Um, if there is anything, this is the time of the show when I step aside and I give you the opportunity to tell our audience, the ones that are listening now and the ones that are listening later, anything that's in your, on your mind and in your heart. Anything on my mind and in my heart. Um, it would definitely be, take some time for you. Um, I, to be very frank, you know, people always say, well, how do you do it all? No one can do it all. I had a really hard time last week. Um, 
I had two days that I had to cancel work and interviews and, and get my mental health together and literally disappear, turn my phone off, my TV, the radio, everything I turned off for a day and a half and just reconnected with myself and with the universe and with mother nature to stay centered and strong. And so I guess if there's anything that I'd like to just share, it's, it's okay to take a moment to cry. It's okay to take a moment to take care of your mental health and recognize those signs and do it. Okay. Just do it. Um, and it's okay if life is changing in a direction that you don't expect it, just surrender to those feelings, let them flow through you and you've got this. Awesome. And by the way, there is a reason why when you are taking a flight at an airplane and the uh, stewardess says, if the masks come down and we lose pressure in the cabin, make sure you put your mask on first yes. before you help the child or the someone who's acting like a child next to you. <laughs> <laughs> because you can't do anything if you can't take care of yourself. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. For sure. So that is absolutely the key to, and that really is the key to life. Take it care is. of yourself and everything else will fall in the line. Everything else will fall in place. I agree. That's a good positive uh, note to end on. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should give you a, like a, a rose every time you say positive. Um, <laughs> Andrea DeMille has been our guest and uh, go get her book, which is, is it racism? Yep. Or, and, and, uh, and by the way, you said it's pre-sales. Is it? been published yet we are we're a little delayed with the publishing so yeah we're pre-selling right now like there's such a supply and demand happening in every area and paper is one of them <laughs> you um, know just like we can't get lumber we can't get material to build and you know so yeah it'll in, be out soon it'll be out this spring for sure so we are definitely taking orders it is sitting on a barge in <laughs> the los angeles harbor this probably <laughs> <laughs> Andrea DeVille, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. And if you wait right there, I got to do this. I'll be right back. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMmedia.pro for more details about us and our mission which is to provide great, positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other, because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time.